Hello, in this lecture we're going to look at some managerial decisions that will highlight some common problems that we as managers and we as people tend to have when making decisions that are a bit uncommon in the nature. They're not part of the normal decision-making process. And some of those problems have to do with things like sunk cost effect. And these are just type of pitfalls that we tend to fall into when we make some of these decisions. And therefore, we're going to put together a systematic process and look at some common scenarios within managerial accounting classes to look at these types of problems. And this idea is not just to look at these particular problem as if we're just going to find that exact problem out in the workforce, although we might, but it's also to try to identify one, when these kind of pitfalls would happen, and then two, put together a system where we can look at this in a systematic way and thereby avoid some typical problems that we just have in, in human nature when we try to make these types of decisions. In order to do that, we're going to look at relevant costs and benefits. So if we're going to put to make together a system to make decisions, we want to first, of course, define the decision. And before we talk about that, just note that when we make most of our decisions in life, we usually have some less formal process. Most of the decisions we make in life are going to be things that we can make pretty quick judgments about, and our judgment's pretty good about it usually. That's, that's not a bad process to have. When things happen that are unusual, things that are outside the normal habits that we have that we can make the decision somewhat intuitively, things that are larger projects, things that have typical type of things that uh, we could overlook just in terms of human nature with things like the sunk cost effect, it's good then to put in a more formal process. So anything that's going to be a larger decision, these type of processes may be useful in terms of putting uh, that information into a formal process so that we can look at it in a more analytical type of way. So if we were to do that, we want to first define the task. What is it that we're trying to accomplish it? What is this that we're trying to do? Identify alternative courses of action. It's often uh, the case that if something is framed in such a way, even just the way it's worded, we can think that we only have like two choices or one choice, and it, that might not be the case. Before we move forward, we really want to say, okay, is that really the only two choices? Do we have more choices than that? And let's define what our real options are here in our frame, not necessarily in someone else's frame imposed on us. So we want to collect relevant information. Then once we do that and we know what our choices are, we do want to define those choices. It's not like we want to have all these choices all over the place. We just want, but we want to have well-defined set of choices so that we can then collect the data and apply them to those set of choices. And then we can analyze that and select the preferred course of action. And then, of course, once we select that course of action, we want to go back and look at it at a later point in time because we want to say, okay, did we really make the right choice or not? Why or why not? And then if something similar happens in the future, we can uh, fix, uh, make a better choice and or fix our decision-making process to uh, do a better job in the future. So then, we're, in order to do this, we want to think about relevant costs. So relevant costs are going to be the important costs when we make these type of decisions. Relevant costs are costs that we would incur if we took the project and costs that we would not incur if we didn't take the project. And that seems very obvious when we're thinking about a new pro project. Well, of course, we want to consider the relevant costs, the costs that we would incur if we were to take the project and not incur if we didn't. But note that there's some types of costs that uh, we run into problems with, and those include oftentimes the fixed costs. Because remember, when we think about the cost of goods sold and things like that, we allocate the fixed costs out in such a way that if we had a special project type of offer, we don't really recognize the fact that, hey, those fixed costs would be, uh, wouldn't be allocated there, of course, if we, didn't, if we made a different decision. So 
in particular, the fixed costs are going to be something that we want to uh, consider when we think about relevant costs. Another huge problem is going to be the sunk cost effect. The sunk cost effect is going to be the idea that a decision in the past that cannot affect the be changed, it can't change the things going forward, still impacts us. It still affects our decision-making process. And that's just kind of human nature. We, we tend to say, oh, we, if we had a project and we put a lot of money into the project and we are deciding what we want to do with that project going forward, even if it's not profitable, even if we would do better to cut our losses, it's very difficult to do that because we feel like we've already got this investment in there. And that investment, of course, is the sunk cost. It's sunk. It's going to be there no matter what. And it really shouldn't affect, as of this point in time, the decision should we uh, go forward at this point in time. Is it profitable or not to move forward at this point in time? So that's one of the things we really want to keep in mind when we have some of these special project-type decisions and put together a formal process in order to protect us against that kind of pitfall. Uh, we want to look at the out-of-pocket out of costs. Those are going to be the ones into the future. So, of course, anything that we're going to put in today, that's going to be in the decision-making process. Any costs that we're going to incur towards the future, we want to include that in our analysis in some way. And the other big one is going to be opportunity costs. Now, opportunity costs is another one that's not really in our accounting records because it's, it's not part of the accounting, but it's, of course, part of our analysis. So we need to account for it in some way. We need to think about what the uh, opportunity cost would be. Now, one way to think about opportunity cost is going to be the cost of basically our next best option. So if we weren't putting our time and money into this, we could be putting our time and money into something else. We're giving up the other thing we could have put our time and money into in order to do uh, this particular thing. So we can't just think about the revenue minus the expenses of the project. We also think about the revenue minus the expenses that we forego with the other option that uh, we could have taken a look at. So opportunity cost is going to be that concept when we think about the idea that everything costs money. We think we hear people say that everything has a cost. When, when I hear people say that, I, I think people tend to think that that means that everything costs money. And that's not really the idea. The idea is that everything has a cost in some way. So even if you got free tickets to a movie or something, the, the, the fact of going to the movie still costs in the fact that uh, it costs time in that way. So we do need to value that when we're analyzing it in terms of, of money in some way so that we can make a, a judgment on the, those type of information as well. The first scenario we want to take a look at is that of a special offer, an offer that is outside the normal business, usually a one-time type of offer, but one that is below the normal sales price in some way. So the decision there is should we accept the special offer or not, and what are going to be the relevant costs when we consider the special offer. Now, if we were going to put this just in terms of the relevant costs and relevant revenue, we would, of course, have to calculate what that revenue would be in terms of the special offer. And then we would have to calculate the costs. Now, when we think about the costs, we often say, well, we've already calculated the costs. I'm sure we have a cost sheet here. And we'd say, hey, this is what the total costs are. And that's, going, that's it. But the problem is that when we think about it that way, we've allocated in terms of coming up with the sales price and that cost number, the cost of goods that we are selling, we've allocated fixed cost into it in some way most of the time. And when we think about a special offer, if we're not producing at capacity, then that fixed cost is fixed. We would have it there whether we had the special offer or not. So the first question when we think about these types of scenarios is, well, first, are we, are we producing at capacity? If we are producing at capacity, then that cost number is, is relevant. If we're not producing at capacity, then we are not maximizing our fixed costs. It's possible for us then 
to accept an offer that is greater than just the variable portion of the costs and still have revenue uh, from a special offer. So a simple example of this would be uh, renting a hotel. So if we're trying to get uh, sell a hotel room, if we had a hotel and we had a walk-in customer that came in and it happened to be a day that we were not at capacity, then the question is, should we accept a special offer from a one-time walk-in type of customer in that type of scenario? So if we have our normal sales price being $300 and we, we broke that out between the costs of variable costs, we'll say $100 for like the cleaning and whatnot of the room in the next. And then we're going to say most of that, a lot of it's going to be fixed costs. So in a hotel, of course, a lot of the costs of the room is because of the fixed costs of the hotel. So if we said that the total costs were $250, we charge $300 and we get $50. If a special uh, customer came in and asked us for the room for $200, $200 is all they got, we'll give you $200 for the room, then normally we would look at that and say, well, no, that's crazy because the, the cost of the room is $250. I would lose $50 from that transaction. But if we really broke it down, well, the room's not being used. And therefore, if we're talking about just the variable cost, if you're just talking about the cost of maintenance in the room the next morning, we're really only talking about the variable cost of $100. So in reality, the bottom line, the relevant costs, if we're just talking about the costs, are going to be the $100. If we paid $200 and, uh, and had the cost of $100 on the variable side, we would have $100 of additional revenue because if we didn't do that, we would still be paying the fixed costs. So those are the types of decisions that we need to make and when we're analyzing these types of special offers. Now, there are other considerations outside of just the revenue analysis of this as well. And that is, well, is a special offer like this going to have any effect on our current customers? You know, if, we, if word got out that we are giving special offers to people, especially people that are just walk-ins and they're not like our valued customers that are doing business with us all the time, people that booked way up in advance, they would probably get the idea of, hey, you know what, you should be giving us the, the value of a reduced price considering we're your valued customers, not the person that's going to have just one uh, one-time offer and not be doing business with you in the future. So those are things that really need to be considered as well in terms of considering these types of special offers. But this is the issue, a, a major issue where this idea of variable cost, fixed cost need to be broken out and the consideration of whether we are at capacity or not should be considered in these types of decisions. The next common decision scenario would be the decision to make a part in-house or to purchase it outside from an outside vendor. For example, if we had something like we we're producing cars, the question is, should we produce a particular part for the engine in-house or should we purchase that part outside in an outside vendor? At first glance, this seems like a pretty obvious decision. What we would just break down the costs of producing that part and compare it to the price it would be to purchase it outside. For example, if we had an outside price and was given an offer to uh, buy a part outside that we need of 325 per part, and we did the analysis in-house and found that the cost for us to produce the part is 350 then it would seem like a no-brainer. We would say, okay, yeah, we need to purchase that outside. It's cheaper to purchase it outside than it is for us to make it in-house uh, given the costs. But we do want to break down the analysis of our costs to make sure that we have relevant costs, the costs that are relevant to this decision. And we know that things that are variable will be relevant. So the direct labor, the direct um, machine, the direct materials, those are things that will change with the part. Those are relevant costs to this decision-making process. 
but then we usually have the overhead. The overhead is going to be applied there. And oftentimes overhead is applied with, a, with some type of rate of allocation. And many times that allocation is allocating things that are fixed in nature. Meaning that if we're allocating fixed cost into it, if we eliminated the process, those fixed costs don't go away. We still end up paying those fixed costs overall. We just need to, we're going to end up allocating them somewhere else. So in terms of this decision, if it's profitable or not, that part of the decision, the fixed portion, is not relevant. So for example, if we determined that our total cost of 350 were broken out of variable cost, direct labor and overhead, I mean direct labor and direct materials of $2, and then we said the overhead of 150 was actually a dollar variable and 50% fixed, then that 350 total cost that we came up with, of that, only $3 of it would be then variable. So that would mean that we're actually producing cheaper in-house than if we purchased outside for 325 and that we wouldn't see that on first glance until we broke out the fact that we are applying out the uh, factory overhead. So that's going to be the relevant information in a decision-making process such as that. There's also going to be a couple other topics when we look at a decision like this as well, and that's just the idea of how much control do we want over the production process. A lot of times it might be better to have the production process in-house in some ways because we can make sure that we are specifying the product, making sure that we're producing enough of it. We just have more control over the process. And sometimes there's, there's value in that as compared to having an outside. Also, when we have something outside, we are in some ways dependent on the outside vendor. There's questions about the depend, dependability of an outside vendor. If they go out of business, how are, are we going to be in trouble on that? How quick can we recover or uh, transform in a situation such as that as well? Next scenario is the scenario as to whether we should scrap or rework inventory that is not up to par. So if we have a production process, it's very possible that some of the process of production will result in inventory that does not meet the standards and therefore cannot be sold at the standard price. And then we have the question as to whether we should just sell it for scrap at that point in time, or should we put it back through the process in some way, improve it, and thereby be able to sell it at the normal sales price. So if we look at this through a scenario, if we say that the cost of a unit of inventory is a dollar and we say that we put it through the process and we're saying that unit of inventory is not able to be sold, it's not up to par, but we can scrap it and sell it for four, uh, 40 cents rather than the normal sales price of a dollar fifty, then the question is, is it should we just sell it for the 40 cents at this point in time or should we rework it, bring it up to standards so that we can sell it for the 150. So in order to work this problem, we want to think and visualize two columns. We've got the columns if we scrapped it, if we made that decision, and we have the column of the rework as if we rework the problem. And we're going to look at those two columns, and then we're going to look at the relevant costs. Now when we include the relevant costs, there's one cost there that will not be relevant, and that will be the $1 cost of already put into production. And you might think, well, that should be included. It's part of the cost of the inventory. We needed that process to get to where we are now. But at this point in time, it's sunk. That's the cost that is already in the past. It's not going to affect the decision at this point forward. All we can do is look at those relevant costs that can change from this point forward, that $1 being something that cannot change. So if we look at the decision to scrap it, on the revenue side, we can get $0.40 cents right now. On the rework side, if we reworked it for revenue, we can get 150 on it. Therefore, the revenue would be a buck ten, a dollar ten higher on the rework side. If we look at uh, the added out-of-pocket expenses, and we're going to assume that to rework it, we would cost another 80 cents to rework it. 
So in terms of the scrapping, there would be no added out-of-pocket costs. We would just be done at that point in time. And if we were to rework it, we would have to include 80 cents of additional expenses. Now, you might think that those would be the only two costs, but we also have the opportunity cost. When we rework it, it's not just that we have that accounting cost that it's going to cost us 80 cents to put it back through the process. It's also going to cost us the opportunity cost of the time it would take us to produce another unit. And this is another one of those areas where we might want to consider the, uh, the, if we're working at capacity or not. But if we had to forego a, a current unit, which we can get profit of 50 cents on for the, the unit here to rework it, then it's going to cost us 50 cents in order in terms of opportunity costs. That would be another cost in terms of the rework. So if we were to add up the rework and uh, we would have a revenue of 20 cents versus if we sold it in this case we would have 40 cents and therefore in this case we would say that we would not want to rework it we should cut the loss there and scrap it take the 40 cents in this scenario the next decision we will take a look at is the decision as to whether sell something or process it further so many times the production processes will have that point at which we could sell something for that given point at that point in the production process or we can refine it further and sell it at a later time Things like oil often have this point in time. We can sell the oil at this point or we can process it into something different. If we think about selling uh, coffee beans, we can sell the coffee beans or we can process them into ground coffee or we can sell the ground coffee in the form of actual coffee coffee. And so the idea is should we, should we process that forward? And this is going to be that concept of the incremental cost related to the incremental revenue of the processing of it forward. So for example, if we had something that costs uh, 25000 to get it to one point in time and then if we think that we could then sell it for $40,000 at that point or we can process it further and we could sell it for $140,000 then we can try to analyze a decision such as this. Now I want to see those two columns again. We're going to visualize two columns. We're going to, we're going to have the sell at that one point in time for the $40,000 and we had the cost of $25,000 and we or we can process it further. Now, what's, what we're not going to include at this point in time, what we're not going to include in this decision-making process is the 25000 of cost that it took to get us to this point in time. And again, that might seem unusual. That's the thing that seems kind of weird. Why wouldn't that twenty-five be in there? Because it's, it's sunk. It's already gone. It's in the past. It doesn't affect the decision as of the point in time here in processing forward. The only, this, the only relevant factors in terms of here and processing forward are what are going to be the costs of processing forward, what will be the added revenue of processing forward. So in this example, if we compared our two columns, we say that the revenue at this point in time would be that 40000 that we could get. If we're saying that the revenue, if we process it further, would be 140000 to process it further, then we're going to, we would say that the added revenue in this case would be 100000 uh, to process it further. On the incremental cost side, of course, there is no increase in cost if we just sold it now. <laughs> if we were to process it forward, if we say that there's an 80,000 incremental cost in order to process it forward, then we'd have the added 80,000. At this point in time, we'd be comparing the revenue at this point in time of the 40 to the revenue less the incremental expenses of 60, and we would have a 20,000 gain if we were to process it forward under this scenario. Now there are of course some other factors that we might want to figure into this and that's going to be the how long does it take to process it forward, how sure are we going to get the 140 next time versus 
uh, the 40 this time. If it's a if it's a done deal that we can sell it at this point, and it may not be a done deal to sell it later, as well as some type of waste. Does it when we process something for it? Oftentimes, there's going to be loss in the in the production process. So if we're going from uh, coffee beans to ground coffee. Uh, there could be some type of loss that will go through that process. So those are things to consider as well in the analysis. The next decision we'll take a look at is the decision related to sales mix. If we have two or more types of inventory that we could make and produce, the question is, which one should we produce at? And so we'll take a quick scenario of this. If we're producing two units, we have unit inventory A, unit inventory B. The question is, which of those should we focus more of our time on? If we're going to say that the sales price for A would be $5, the sales price per unit for B is $10, for example, and we say that the variable costs related to A are $3, and the variable costs related to B would be $7, then if we took the contribution margin for A and B, the contribution margin per unit, meaning how much are we walking away with in terms of the sales over the variable costs, we would say A, we would be get $2 per unit, and B, we would be getting $3 a unit. So if we looked at the contribution margin, we asked this question, what should be the units that we should produce the most of? And if there was unlimited demand for both units and we can produce them, and they took the same amount of time to produce, then we would want to produce B because we're getting a contribution margin higher per unit. We're getting $3 after variable cost versus only $2 after variable cost there. Notice we're not taking into account the fixed costs in this case because the fixed costs are assumed to be fixed in the, and so they will not affect this type of decision making. But we could add some another factor into this and that's going to be the question of, well, how long does it take to produce these items? Many times we have a, a constraint of some kind. Either the machine hours or the labor hours are often the constraint and we may want to maximize our production with regards to that constraint, say it's the machine hours meaning that if we produce one product, it's possible that we are losing, we're getting the opportunity cost being the loss of the production of the other project, or the other product. So if we do that, then oftentimes we want to calculate what we call the contribution margin per, in this case, machine hour. What's the contribution margin in relation to the machine hours? How efficient are we and how, what's our return as it relates to this constraint, this bottleneck? And if we say that A, the, the, the one that sells for half the price, $5, takes only one hour to produce in terms of machine hours, but B, the one that sells for $10, takes the two hours to produce. Then if we take the contribution margin for A, $2 per unit, contribution margin per unit, $2, divided by the time it takes, which is one in this case, we have the contribution margin per machine hour, which would be two. And if we take B, which had a contribution margin of $3 per unit, and we divide by the two hours that it takes, then we would have a contribution margin per machine hour of $1.50. So this is an, and so in this scenario, it would be more efficient to produce A in this case. And if the A was in demand and A was selling, what we would want to do in our terms of our product mix would basically be to actually produce A as much as possible, as much as we can sell on it. And then once we've gone past capacity in terms of being able to sell product A, then move to product B. So that would be the, the type of scenario that, that we would go through in terms of thinking through a sales mix. The last decision we'll take a look at is the decision as to whether we should eliminate a segment or department or not. 
So many times we look at a segment and we try to allocate out the budget and the expenses and see how people are doing by division. And when we do so, we're going to set up the basically an income statement by division. So we might have different divisions and different departments where we are allocating sales for that division, cost of goods sold, gross profit. And then we got the, the uh, direct expenses, the indirect expenses that will be allocated. And then we'll measure performance on how that division is doing. And if we look at the allocation that has been allocated to this division, and we see that they constantly have losses within the division, meaning obviously the income is less than the, than the operating expenses, then the question will come up, well, should we discontinue this decision? And at first glance, again, it's one of those things that kind of look like, well, yeah, we're losing money constantly in this division. You would think that we would want to, we would want to discontinue it. But notice that this is another area that when many times when we look at this type of scenario, we need to allocate some things to the division. Oftentimes part of that income statement, part of the costs in terms of cost of goods sold and different types of allocations will be allocated overhead. So what we need to do is break out the, the type if we want to determine whether or not that division is actually making us money or not. We can't just look at the fact that they're losing money in terms of the allocated income statement that we have allocated for that segment. Because if we eliminate the division, we're still going to have some of those expenses. We're going to have many of those fixed costs. So in making this decision, we need to determine which costs are going to be avoidable costs. Meaning if we, if we eliminate the division, those costs go away because it's no longer there anymore. And which of those will be unavoidable. Meaning if we eliminate the division, those costs are still going to be there. They're just going to be allocated somewhere else. So, and those are generally going to be the fixed costs. The costs that are fixed that we allocated to the division are still going to be around they're just going to have we're going to have to allocate them to some other divisions the divisions that are still in operation so let's think about a scenario where a division we're saying they're losing constantly and in the last uh, income statement they were losing twenty thousand dollars we're saying they're losing twenty thousand dollars should we discontinue this going forward or not assuming the future will be somewhat like the past here uh, would we have been better off not to have had this uh, in the last last time period considering the fact that the income statement for that division is losing $20,000. Well, in order to do that, we need to figure out, well, how much of the ex the expenses that we are uh, allocating to this division would be expenses that would be unavoidable versus avoidable. So if we were to allocate that out, if the allocation went something like this, if we said that the variable costs, the ones that would be avoidable, the ones that if we got rid of the, the division would go away, would be 30000 And if we're saying that uh, fixed costs are 40000 those are the costs that uh, if we were to eliminate the division, we would still have the cost. They would just be allocated somewhere else. We just allocated them to this division, and that would mean that the total cost would be uh, 70000 So if we're saying that the, they earned 50000 they had total cost of seventy. That's where we're getting the 20000 loss. But if we eliminated the division, we're saying that the fixed portion, the 40000 would not be eliminated it would just be reallocated then in reality we're ha we have uh, the sales of 50,000 minus the variable portion the ones that would go away if the division were to uh, be eliminated and therefore uh, they have a profit in that in that sense so if we were to eliminate the, the division we would actually be losing 20,000 profits even though we're seeing that on the income statement that we've developed for the division we have the loss of the 20,000 and that's of course due to the allocation method and due to the fact that variable costs act different than total costs and the way we're trying to measure this allocation through the divisions.